Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, August 9th, we are studying Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 21 to 46. The Lord continues to speak his word to Babylon concerning their impending judgment. It's coming upon them because of their prideful idolatry. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks, Pastor Apple. Good to be back with you. As we get started, let's talk a little bit of context. This is actually the, the first time we've visited about Jeremiah. I've had a couple of repeat guests, but this is your first chance to have a crack at Jeremiah, Pastor Zimmerman. So as we get started, you know, give us context where we are, particularly in the book, and anything you, you want to share with us about Jeremiah, his ministry, his book that's going to help us today. Well, pretty much this is where we talk about um, in in some of our, our exegetes, we'll talk about this being this portion, Jeremiah chapter 46 through 51, as um, a list of oracles against the nations. Um, so we, our listeners are probably familiar that um, Israel, when it was founded, when, when the Lord brought the people out of Egypt into Canaan, into the promised land, that, that he he allowed them to take possession of the land, um, and that's what the land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that the nation of Israel then was founded um, in its place after the Exodus. And so you had, though, in the surrounding areas, you know, the Israelites didn't like overtake the entire region of what we would call the Middle East, but only a portion of it. So surrounding them would be all these other nations that were still uh, pagans. They, they were Gentile nations. Um, a lot of times we think of the Gentiles, uh, especially as New Testament people, we think of the Gentiles as like the people in um, you know, modern-day Turkey or Greece or, or Macedonia or Italy, all these places where Paul writes letters, you know, to, you know epistles. But in the Old Testament, the, the Gentile nations are primarily what we would call ancient Near Eastern people, uh, people in modern-day Egypt or Saudi Arabia or Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, places like that. And that's kind of the context um, in which the Israelites found themselves. And then through history, as we have talked about before uh, in, in, in previous um broadcast you you had the northern kingdom of israel fell victim to the assyrians that the lord raised up uh that's after the the kingdom of israel had been divided and then you had that southern kingdom the judahites uh, the kingdom of judah uh, along with the tribe of benjamin there that were based in jerusalem that southern kingdom and that lasted a bit longer until the Lord raised up the Babylonian Empire to destroy 
uh, Jerusalem, destroy the kingdom of Judah and bring their people, take the people into exile. And of course, Jeremiah is right in the midst of that. He's the one who is, he's one of the prophets. He's the kind of the major prophet that brought this, um, these, these messages against Judah, calling them to repentance. They don't repent. They don't change their ways. They don't um, return to faithfulness uh, to the Lord. And so you have the Lord bring a temporal punishment against them using the Babylonian empire as his instrument. But the question is going to be what happens after the destruction, after Jerusalem is destroyed, after the temple is destroyed and ransacked and the Babylonians take all the all those treasures of the temple back to Babylon with them and then exile the nobility back with them and take many of the people of Judah and you know place them in all sorts of parts of their empire. Is that the end? Is that the way it's going to turn out? Is that, is that the Lord's final word on this matter? And what we find in this section of Jeremiah, not the only place, but where the Lord had promised that there would be a restoration of the Judahites, they would go back. Whether, what was going to happen then to these other nations? You know, what was going to happen to some of these nations that had been opposed to Judah, who, who were pagan, who were not in line with the Lord? Are, are they going to go unpunished in any way? Are they going to thrive and survive? Uh, and the answer that the Lord gives in this section, Jeremiah, is no. And most importantly, the message that the Babylonians are not going to thrive and survive that they had been used as an instrument by the Lord, by Yahweh the Lord, to bring temporal punishment, to call, you know, to be kind of like the last call to repentance in a way. The Lord used them to destroy and exile Judah, but that would not be the Lord's final word for Judah. Hmm. And so in this section, you are seeing the Lord kind of giving oracles or predictions, prophetic statements, that are, that are beginning to reveal the Lord's final words on these matters. And you see where the Lord actually is saying that those nations that were aligned against him will actually suffer uh, destruction and that the Lord would ultimately work through a restored Judah. And of course, we in the New Testament see this happening, right? Uh, yeah, we find out the Judahites don't end up in exile forever, but they return, and there is the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then a few centuries later, that's the um, environment in which we find the Lord's Messiah being born, right? You know, born in Judah, um, in, in Bethlehem, a, a, a town in that what would have been called the old Judah southern kingdom. So with these oracles against the nations, then can, can we say there's a dual purpose that on the one hand, there's the announcement of judgment to the foreign nation, Babylon in this case. And as you said, particularly Babylon, because they're the ones that have brought judgment against Judah. That was the Lord's doing through Babylon. So there's that warning to the foreign nation. This is what is coming with a call to repent within it. But then also on the, on the flip side, to the people of Judah, and I think this is particularly true in this oracle that goes to to Babylon. For the people of Judah, there's that purpose of bringing them hope in the midst of having experienced their judgment. There is hope for restoration. So a dual purpose, whether you're Babylon or Judah, you, you get one or the other? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a very good way of putting it. And I think it's hard for us to maybe completely understand um, what the destruction of Jerusalem meant for the Judahites. Um, be, because remember, we, we have to remember the Lord had promised to be with his people and, and, and he had promised to always dwell with his people. And he had designated the place where these sacrifices would take place where he would then bring his gifts, especially his gifts of forgiveness and salvation, to his people. And that was all rooted in the, the promises with the temple. And then the promises with the land was important, right? So, you know, these, this was the place where the, the, the descendants of Judah were supposed to live. It's the place where the, where the king, the Messiah, was supposed to be raised up. And if you're all removed from that, and and that temple is no longer extant. It, it, it's a it's a pile of rubble. Uh, the places where the altars where the sacrifices would be offered is now toppled. Uh, the sacred instruments, vessels, you know, all the things that um, the Lord had Moses make, you know, uh, are are now gone and are are on display maybe somewhere in some Babylonian you know like museum or, or temple or archive archive room uh, and you're away from the land and everything is just like completely turned over it could lead the people into thinking well that's it the lord's promises aren't going to come true we we are hopeless we are we are clean cut off that we believe that's in in, in the prophecy of ezekiel right the, um with the dry bones um, vision he has, which is kind of talking about that's the way the people would think of themselves. But the Lord had given that promise. You know, the exile would come to an end. And now when he's giving these oracles about what will happen to Babylon, the people are now having something they can grab hold of. Ah, the Lord has not forgotten us. The Babylonians are not superior to him. Their deities are not superior to the one Lord God that there is. And so there is that hope that is created as these words of the Lord are spoken. And when you go all the way back to the Exodus, all the way back to the Lord bringing those people out of Egypt and into the promised land, and we read in the book of Deuteronomy right before the people take possession of the promised land where you have that song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and Moses speaks about the Lord being the one who's going to vindicate his people. He's the one who's going to have compassion on his servants when in very much the particular situation that the Judahite exiles would have found themselves when their power is gone. Okay. When there is no power remaining right. and the Lord is going to demonstrate that that promise he had made all the way back kind of at the beginning of uh, the existence of Israel is going to be fulfilled. He had not forgotten this. The Lord had not like, you know, said, well, that was a condition of a promise I was going to keep, but now I'm not going to keep it. I've changed my mind. no. He's the one who kills and makes alive, and that promise of making Judah alive again is going to be fulfilled 
and in particular because that is the nation through which his Messiah would come. All right, so let's see, let's see then in this text how the Lord is faithful to his promise to bring judgment upon the Babylonians and save his own people. We're picking up in the middle of Jeremiah chapter 50 this morning, right in this midst of the oracle against Babylon, starting in verse 21 of Jeremiah 50. Go up against the land of Marathiam and against the inhabitants of Pekad. Kill and devote them to destruction, declares the Lord, and do all that I have commanded you. The noise of battle is in the land and great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth is cut down and broken. How Babylon has become a horror among the nations. I set a snare for you, and you were taken, O Babylon, and you did not know it. You were found and caught because you opposed the Lord. The Lord has opened his armory and brought, for, brought out the weapons of his wrath. For the Lord God of hosts has a work to do in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from every quarter. Open her granaries. Pile her up like heaps of grain and devote her to destruction. Let nothing be left of her. Kill all her bulls. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day has come, the time of their punishment. A voice. They flee and escape from the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, vengeance for his temple. Summon archers against Babylon, all those who bend the bow. Encamp around her. Let no one escape. Repay her according to her deeds, do to her according to all that she has done, for she has proudly defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Therefore her young men shall fall in her squares, and all her soldiers shall be destroyed on that day, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all that is around him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, The people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will surely plead their cause, that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. That takes us through verse 34 of Jeremiah 50. Let's pause there and take a look at this text. Pastor Zimmerman, in that very first verse in chapter 21, there's two place names in the land of Babylon. Do we know anything about those place names and, and the significance of Jeremiah, including them here? Sure. So in here, you actually have to remember the Babylonian Empire is a uh, multi—I I try to say how, how to describe it. Multifaceted. Uh, it's got different regions. Uh, uh, we, we don't think always of empires. We usually think of like nation states, but Babylon was not exactly a nation state. It had, it had part of it where it was a kind of a nation state where the most of your kind of ethnically Babylonian people would live, but then it had uh, territories that, that expanded um, beyond kind of like the old Babylonian heartland, if, if you will. Uh, some of our listeners might think of like, the, if they're familiar with like the Roman Empire, you, so you had the kind of the center area around Rome and Italy, but then you had it expanding all across, you know, the Mediterranean, uh, you know, centuries later. So when you look at this uh, land of Meritaim, um, it's, it's interesting because there is this district of southern Babylonia down near the Persian Gulf, what was called Meritim. And then you have um, the inhabitants of Pecod, as, as it's uh, listed in Jeremiah. 
that you have this these um, a name of people who lived in eastern Babylonia were the Pakudu. And what you almost have going on is kind of like a um, a, a wordplay or kind of a pun, if you will. So you have Jeremiah speaking about um, groups or regions within Babylonia who are going to be destroyed as their enemies get raised up against them, as the Lord will raise up these enemies against Babylon. And when you kind of listen to the names of these regions or places, they sound like Hebrew words. So you have like a vocable, so what a word sounds like in one language, sounding similar to another word in a different language. You know, they're not the same etymology, you know, but they sound the same. And so here, this uh, region of uh, Maritime sounds like a Hebrew word that means double rebellion, Maritahim. And that this Paduku people, a group of people living in Babylon, sound their the the vocable, the sound of their name sounds similar to a Hebrew word pecod, which means punishment. And so this what you got Jeremiah kind of playing on here is that this region and people within Babylonia are going to experience a punishing wrath that the Lord says is meant for the people who rebel against him. So that play on that play on words there is is part of Jeremiah's and and ultimately the Lord's way of reminding Babylon who's really in charge, who's behind this. And and that I think comes through throughout this. We've seen this throughout these oracles against the nations that what occurs in these judgments is more than just sort of the ups and downs of society, ups and downs of empires, rises and falls, but this is the Lord at work. He is the one who's sending these armies against the people of Babylon, and and he gives a description of, of what happens. As the text continues into verses 22 and following, one of the things that stands out is the use of the word hammer in verse 23. The hammer of the whole earth is cut down and broken. The Lord had, I guess, used Babylon as his hammer, and, and now the Lord's saying, but I'm going to, to hammer you, essentially. Yeah, well, yeah, in a way, he is saying that. Um, what, you, what you have going on that we always need to remember as, as believers is that the Lord is involved in history. Um, I think we sometimes get in the idea that things just kind of happen. You know, like the, the Lord made a creation and things just sort of, happen within the creation as if the lord is not aware of what's happening in his creation or is it isn't active or participating in things happening within his creation and here at least in the statements being made against babylon is the lord is aware of what the babylonians had done he's aware of how the babylonians had crushed like a hammer had you know uh slammed down against not just the Judahites, but against all sorts of other other nations in, in that ancient Near East. Um, and the Lord allowed it. 
as the Lord of creation. He, he allowed it to happen. And not only did he allow it to happen, he had actually used Babylon as an instrument. Um, the, the, the raising up of the Babylonians to be the empire, the dominant world superpower of, of that century, uh, actually a couple centuries, um, that was going to be present, that was going to be the tool that the Lord used to also bring you know, um, temporal punishment and, and repentance to the Judahites. Uh, the Lord was involved with that. And now that tool which he had used, it's like now he's used the hammer to hit the nails and had all that done or to crush the rocks like a sledgehammer. And now he has taken the sledgehammer and broken it. Mm. Mm. Because the Babylonians are not going to be the tool now used to um, bring Judah to repentance. That's happened. Mm. <laughs> now we're going to get, but the Lord always brings people to repentance with the goal of restoring them. And now that's going to happen. But the Babylonians use as his instrument that their purpose has been served. Well, and I, I guess that's where the end of verse 24 comes in, that the, the reason for all this is because the Babylonians have opposed the Lord. Yes, he used them as his instrument to bring about this temporal judgment and repentance for his own people, Judah. But as they did that, the Babylonians actually were doing it opposed to the Lord. And so they too receive judgment in this case. Right. So not only did he use it as a as a tool and instrument but the, the babylonians also in what they do to the temple and what they do with um the sacred vessels of the temple what they do in trying to like you know kind of eliminate really the the great worship um and and religion what we might call the you know the the, the yahweh religion the, the 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 old what we might call the old testament faith uh, belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, you know, all our Babylonian deities are superior, and you know, the proof of the, you know, the 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 proof of the puddings in the taste, right? You know, proof of the pudding is your your holy place is destroyed, and we took all the stuff. Mm. Where's your God now? Right, right, um, and that's a very bad place to be, you know, <laughs> in in opposition to the Lord that way. That's right. I mean, we've we've seen this throughout the oracles against the nations, how the idolatry of these foreign nations is ultimately the problem. And, and we've already seen that in the very opening of this oracle, where earlier in verse 2, you know, the mention of Bel, Merodach, the images, the idols that mm -hmm. there are there in Babylon. And that's going to be in view here as well as we move later into the text, the idolatry of Babylon being condemned particularly as they're opposing the true religion, the worship of the one true God. Now, as, as the text continues into to verses 26 and 27, we get more of the, the picture of complete destruction that's coming. And then in verse 27, with the, the killing of the bulls, well, and, and maybe even the mention of, you know, these, these heaps of grain, it's almost like there's some, some sacrificial overtones in the text. They, they, they kind of are. Um, it's like, Babylon has now become the sacrificial victim. You know, ba Babylon had destroyed the place where the worship of the Lord took place, the temple. But now on kind of, if you want to think in a way, maybe like, you know, the, the, the cosmic altar, right? You know, the, um, remember that all the things in the, um, in, in the temple were, were representations of the, of the things in heaven, right? 
um, in, in this kind of deeper and, and, and larger way. Uh, it's like the Babylonians now are kind of taking the place of, of the sacrificial victims on the Lord's cosmic altar, like the grain offerings would be offered or the bull offerings would be offered. But unlike those sacrifices that would, would have been offered in the temple in Jerusalem, which were meant to reconcile people to the Lord, to bring forgiveness from the Lord, uh, to bring restoration uh, from the Lord. In this case, Babylon is being offered for not its deliverance, but for its punishment. From there, which, again, that picture of Babylon as being sacrificed for judgment, into verse 28, it seems like we, we move subject suddenly. There's this voice, and it says, they flee and escape from the land of Babylon, which which sounds like previously in this chapter, back in the text we looked at previously in 50 verse 8, where he, the Lord tells his people to flee from the midst of Babylon. So verse 28 seems like a, a brief shift to address now the people of Judah, the people of Israel, running away from the exile. Yeah. So what you do have is like within these kind of instructions that, that, that the Lord's giving to uh, the enemies of Babylon to come and destroy it, to come and, you know, just, you know, take all its stuff, completely uh, uh, loot it, you know. Um, you have this kind of parenthetical statement about people escaping the land of Babylon um, and it's not necessarily the idea of like the return of all the exiles, but rather some people have come out of Babylon back to Judah, back to where there were still some people, some Judahites living there, because the Babylonians did not remove every single inhabitant of Judah. Okay, there were some people left back there. Uh, and they were, you know, they, the Babylonians brought other inhabitants from other parts of the empire and put them there as well. And so uh, it's occupied by all sorts of mixed kind of groups of people, which, which some of our listeners will remember in like the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that, that the returned exiles have to deal with. Um, but you've got some of those people back there and they're getting news that comes from like a little stream of refugees who have left Babylon, and they're kind of telling you, you ought to see what's happening back there, because this idea of Babylon being the superpower and, and, and uh, indestructible, undefeatable, no, not at all. The, the Lord is acting, and the Lord is bringing his vengeance for his temple. What they did to our holy place here that you now see in ruins in Jerusalem uh, the Babylonians are getting their payback for what they did. And that is good news for the people of Judah there in their homeland as they see the Lord show himself true to his promises. And we're going to see more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking Jeremiah chapter 50 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Can you ever hear too much good news? Especially in challenging times, we need to hear how God is working through His church to bring truth, goodness, and beauty to the world. Hi, this is Rahima Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Take a break from cable news and find refreshment at interesttime.org, where you can read all about what's happening in places like St. Mark Lutheran Church and School in Kaneohe, Hawaii. Sign up for a free subscription and share with anyone that needs a good boost. Again, that's interesttime.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 9th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 21 to 46 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. He's the pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we were talking about verse 28, where this voice, this, this one who has escaped from exile and has gone back to the land of Judah and is declaring, the Lord has taken his vengeance, he is defeating Babylon— I think sometimes to our modern ears, that sounds like gloating. And we think, who are the people of Judah to gloat over the downfall of Babylon? Why is it that this isn't gloating and that there, there is rejoicing to be had over this defeat of Babylon? Okay, that's, that's a great question. Um, there can be the this, this sense of gloating, but I think we should probably look at it as news coming to the Judahites that what they may have thought was impossible has happened because the Lord said it would. The hope that they had, because if we would think of the Babylonians as being, let's say they had been successful and kind of permanently successful. So let's say they had conquered conquered Judah, they destroyed the temple, and they then ruled over that territory for centuries on end, then what the Lord had said about what he would do would not happen. It would not take place. But the Lord said that's not what will ultimately come to pass. What would come to pass is that the exile of my people would end. My holy place would not be left permanently desecrated. My promising, the covenant promises I have made to my people would be fulfilled, including raising up the Messiah who would be born there, who would be from the line of Judah that I, the Lord, am supreme over all things, sovereign over all things. It's not the deities of Babylon who are. But when you are looking at it maybe from an earthly perspective, analyzing things from an earthly way, who is the most powerful nation extant in that like 6th century BC? It's Babylon. Who has the greatest armies? It's Babylon. Of course, they, they got involved in uh, fighting against the Egyptians and you know, the other sort of superpower and showed themselves to be superior at what at Carchemish, right? The Battle of Carchemish. Uh, so when you're looking at it, it looks like, oh, no, 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 no. The power in the world is Babylon. But now that power in the world, the the kind of ruler of the world, if you will, in that age had been overthrown, had been shown not to be 
really what they claim to be. And when the Lord has this impossible, what seems earthly impossible, come to pass, where his word of promise is being fulfilled, that's where the elation comes. That's where the rejoicing comes. The Lord did what he said, even if it didn't seem like it would. And perhaps maybe a little allusion to uh, the Psalter would bring that, right? Uh, some of our um, listeners would be familiar with Psalm 137, where it talks about, you know, by the waters of Babylon, where we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, and, and we hung up our lyres on the willows, and our captors, when, when we were living there, said, you know, you know, sing one of those songs of Zion, as if we were like, you know, paid performers on demand, right? Um, that's, that's what it was like. But now they have been restored. Now they've been brought back. Um, they're, they're like the people who were dreaming dreams, like, like it says other places in the Psalter, right? Uh, when the Lord, in Psalm 126, when the Lord restored the fortune of Zion, and we were like those who dream, and then our, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy, right? And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And they say, Yes, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. The elation is in what the Lord has done. Now, now, now the, what the Lord has done had indeed brought Babylon to its downfall, or was bringing Babylon to its downfall. But the, the elation was in the Lord keeping his promises and fulfilling his words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's well said. And two, I think, to just the, the point you made, too, that the Lord is showing that he is the true God. That, that all of these events that have happened, particularly the judgment against Judah and Jerusalem, that does not mean that he has stopped reigning as God. In fact, it, it precisely shows that he is reigning as, as king and God, and he continues to show that even in this downfall of Babylon and the restoration of his people. It's, it's not a gloating over Babylon, but it is a, a rejoicing in the victory that God has won over the enemies of his people to, to do what he promised for them. And, and in that, there is great joy. And so I, I appreciate you, you, you go in that direction, at least for a few minutes there, Pastor Zimmerman, because this is a theme that we're going to see in other places here in these words against Babylon as, as the Lord continues to speak this judgment. So looking, looking forward from there into verses about 29 through, through 32, one of the themes that stands out to me in those verses is a theme we've seen several times in these oracles against the nations, that there's this matter of pride, that, that these foreign nations got proud before the Lord and before the people of Judah, and that pride has led to their downfall. And that comes up a couple times there in 29 through, through 32. Other, other thoughts on those verses particularly? Right, yeah, those the, like defiance or price. It's kind of like it's in, it's like in your face, Yahweh. You know, we are we, we our deities are superior. You know, uh, the, the the one the ones we worship. You know, the, the ones that are mentioned in 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 the in the beginning of this chapter, right? You know, where where you had uh, the gods um, mentioned a bell and Meredic uh, or, or Merduk, as it's sometimes uh, rendered, right? Um, so you've got those you've got those deities that the Babylonians were worshiping, and say you know, and and they are, uh, and again you can kind of almost see it from their perspective. Again, and, and we we don't always think of it this way 
of like nations belonging to gods. That's not in our like 21st century Western civilization. That's not the way we think about people. Okay? Well, that nation has that God and this other nation has their own God and another nation has like a third or fourth God or maybe they got like a, a panoply of gods, you know. And, and so like the wars between those nations are actually struggles between the deities. But that is kind of the worldview of the ancient Near Eastern people. And so, you know, when you've got the holy place of, uh, of Yahweh, of the Lord, just lying bare and uh, broken, it seems to be like the evidence of, of yeah, yeah we, we Babylonians are better. Our gods are better. Um, and then what they actually do, I mean, this is this kind of thing when I was reading through this, you know, uh, preparing for our discussion, you know, it reminded me of the book of Daniel. Because in the book of Daniel, we, we talk about this. This is, this is kind of the end. The book of Daniel straddles the end of the Babylonian Empire and the beginning of the, the Persian Empire. Well, the Persian Empire existed, but, but becoming then the, the, the dominant power in that region. And some of our people might remember you know, Nebuchadnezzar because he's got the long, funny name, right? <laughs> some of our people can't pronounce it. And you got Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace and, and those things. And, and you see in a couple of those incidents where Nebuchadnezzar has a little bit of a, like an understanding of perhaps the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the God of Daniel, whom they worship, is worth at least like, you know, paying attention to a little bit. Um, right, so he has the, he has the issue where he you know becomes a grazer of grass for a while, right? See all the the and then uh, he's restored, but his progeny, his descendants, don't take even that sort of slightly humble position. And in fact, the description in the book of Daniel, when you get to Daniel chapter five, when he describes the destruction of Babylon, when when this oracle given in Jeremiah is fulfilled, that one of those incidents going on is that the king or regent of Babylon, Belshazzar at that point, is having a feast going on. And part of the feast was taking all those sacred vessels that had once belonged in the temple in Jerusalem, and we're using them as party wear. Right, so you got like you know goblets and other things that were uh, designated to be used in the worship of Yahweh. Only the priests could handle them, right? Um, and now we're using them as like, well, it's a fine wine glass, <laughs> and we're just like pouring our our wines and things and our foods in this like festival to our gods. That's the type of pride. <laughs> That, that's that's the defiance and you know in in your face uh, thing going on, and that is right on the you know tail end of Babylon's existence as kind of like a uh, tangible example of this. I appreciate you bringing up Daniel chapter five there as as a way that we do see these words of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah come to pass that the Lord proves what He says is true. A couple more verses that, that we read earlier uh, briefly before we move on to the rest of the text. In verses 33 and 34, the Lord turns and now begins to address his people again. He talks about the people of Israel, people of Judah being oppressed. They've been captive, but the Lord, he is their redeemer. He's going to be the one to set them free by bringing this unrest to Babylon. Yeah, and so this is the kind of thing to, to actually remember uh, this redeemer, who's the one who's going to deliver them? It's it's this Lord of hosts, 
and we use that word right to, in our worship at times um this lord of hosts the other what the yahweh sabaoth right um and the real person in charge is noted and this is the one whom the faithful judahites and israelites had trusted in and even those who had been brought to repentance right who took the message to heart that the destruction of their kingdom that was you know at one point it was flourishing everything was great and we were trusting in our own abilities trusting in our own powers our own armies our own economy all those things that jeremiah had called them out for that many of the minor prophets that we read had called them out for as they were brought back into say no ultimately our fate is dependent upon uh the god of abraham isaac and jacob um that god of abraham isaac and jacob shows himself with the downfall of babylon to be the strong redeemer their strong redeemer that's the one and when he pleads their cause, there's no one who can actually stand against them. When he vindicates them, there is no one who can stand against them. That brings us then to verse 35 of our text. So we pick up the text again, reading now in Jeremiah 50, verse 35. A sword against the Chaldeans, declares the Lord, and against the inhabitants of Babylon, and against her officials and her wise men. A sword against the diviners, that they may become fools a sword against her warriors that they may be destroyed, a sword against her horses and against her chariots and against all the foreign troops in her midst that they may become women, a sword against all her treasures that they may be plundered, a drought against her waters that they may be dried up, for it is a land of images and they are mad over idols. Therefore wild beasts shall dwell with hyenas in Babylon and ostriches shall dwell in her. She shall never again have people, nor be inhabited for all generations. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, declares the Lord, so no man shall dwell there, and no son of man shall sojourn in her. Behold, a people comes from the north, a mighty nation and many kings are stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They, laid whole, they lay hold of bow and spear, they are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring of the sea. They ride on horses. Arrayed as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. The king of Babylon heard the report of them, and his hands fell helpless. Anguish seized him, pain as of a woman in labor. Behold, like a lion coming up from the thicket of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly make them run away from her, and I will appoint over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore hear the plan that the Lord has made against Babylon and the purposes that he has formed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the little ones of their flock shall be dragged away. Surely their fold shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of the capture of Babylon, the earth shall tremble, and her cry shall be heard among the nations. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Jeremiah 50, verses 35 through 46. Pastor Zimmerman, those first several verses of our text, you get this repeat, a sword, a sword, a sword. What's the language communicating there? 
So it's like, um, it's, it's kind of like a poetic description about um, what is going to happen to Babylon. So the, the, the in fact, some um, people, scholars will call it like the, uh, the song of the sword. Mm. Um, so the Lord is issuing these prophetic statements about the destruction of Babylon. And what's in there, so the sword is the thing that's going to cut them down. So it's, it's a way of speaking about destruction or warfare and, and, um, and the like. <laughs> um, what's interesting is what the sword is going to hit, right? It's a sword against the Chaldeans, against the inhabitants of Babylon. Okay, fine. It's, it's against those people. But then it's all the things the Babylonians had their, their pride in. What made the Babylonian Empire the Babylonian Empire? What made it the superpower? What made it a significant nation? What, what, what was it honored and known for, right? Well, it has their diviners. They're, they're smart religious people, but they're going to be fools, uh, the warriors, right? Their armies, well, they're going to end up being destroyed. Uh, their their cavalry, the horses and chariots, yep, they're going to be struck down. Uh, all their foreign mercenaries, right? You know, because they would incorporate people. They had money. They could pay these other um, ethnic groups to fight for them. They will become cowardly, like women running away. That's uh, the kind of the image there. Uh, all their treasures are going to be plundered and taken away. Their irrigation system, that's the whole kind of thing. They had these you know, canals in Babylon um, that would, would uh, you know, make it a great city and all, all, the, all the gardens of Babylon and, and those things. Well, they're going to be um, actually dried up. And all those idols that they had that represented their deities, that's what they had trusted in. That's what they were devoted to. They... That's what they had foolishly believed in as their hope. And they're going to be proven to be not so. Hmm. That, that very last sentence there of the conclusion of the song, I think is such an important line. You know, it is a land of images. They are mad over their idols. All of these things that are being torn down by the sword that the Lord sends or by the drought there at the, in verse 38. This is the Lord showing the people of Babylon who truly is God. And it's not their idols. It's not all these things that they've trusted in, whether it's, you know, Marduk as a, as a little statue that they bow down before or these various entities that they think will keep them safe. The Lord is going to show them, no, he is the one true God in all of this. Uh, Pastor Zimmer, we got just about eight and a half minutes on the morning, sure. and there's plenty of text there. Any Anything in particular to point out to us, but I want to make sure we leave at least a couple minutes to reflect on this text as a whole and think about how it points to Christ. So spend maybe three or four minutes here, just anything to point out in the remainder of the text in chapter 50. Sure. If you kind of go ahead and like verse 41 and 42, it's important that we note the... the um, entity identified as this people coming from the north, uh, mighty nations and many kings stirring from these farthest parts of the earth, uh, because Jeremiah is identifying who it is that's going to be the, the entity that comes to destroy Babylon, and, and that is the Medo-Persian Empire, um, which we don't always think of being from the north, uh, but when you because we kind of think of like modern-day Iran being to the east of Iraq, which is kind of uh, where Babylon was. Um, but it did sweep over into kind of what would be kind of modern day uh, Turkey in part. And so when they came down uh, to conquer the Babylonians, they actually did come uh, out of the north. Um, and, and the Medo-Persian Empire was at the time, it was being forged from like 
a couple different uh, ethnic nations into an empire. And really, you have this battle of Opis in uh, September of 539 BC that kind of presages the destruction of Babylon. Um, one of the areas that was uh, a fortification was actually overrun, and it wasn't that far, about 50 miles north of the actual city of Babylon. And when that fell, it, you know, it was just a matter of time before the city of Babylon would fall, uh, which is what is um, foretold there. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's there, just since you brought those verses up, that I think is worth mentioning briefly, is that the language that Jeremiah uses in verses 41 through 43 is very, very similar to the language he used all the way back in Jeremiah chapter 6 when he talked about the destruction that was going to come upon Judah and Jerusalem. This, So just for example, Jeremiah 6.22 says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people is coming from the north country. A great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. The Lord takes that same language that he once spoke to his people, mm-hmm. referring to Babylon, and now he speaks it to Babylon, referring to Persia. Again, you see how, how right. what—I mean, it's just—I think it's worth pointing out that how, how the Lord uses that parallel language as, as a reminder, again, to Babylon, of who's really in charge. And, of course, also a reminder to his own people of, of his own purposes and plans that he's active in doing. So, Pastor Zimmer, yeah. we, we have about five minutes still. So with, with the mm-hmm. text as a whole— I mean, a, a text like this is maybe difficult for us to to take. We've referred to historical events that maybe we never learned in high school history class, and maybe we haven't covered in a, a pastor's Bible study before. Some some things that may feel a bit obscure to us at times, at, and seem very removed historically, geographically, and personally. How, how do we take a text like this part of Jeremiah 50 and, and make use of it as Christians? How does a, a text like this point us to the center of our faith, Christ crucified for us? I think we can take a little bit of like verse 44 and 45 and see how it applies to us. In those verses, which kind of close this chapter, and they echo verses that the Lord had spoken earlier against the Edomites, another nation, the Lord speaks about himself as supreme. Who's like me? The answer is no one. Who will summon me? You, you, don't, you don't call the Lord. You, know? you, don't, you don't summon him. He summons you. Who, what shepherd can stand before me? No, no one ultimately can withstand him. And he has a plan, the plan that he's made. And in this case, in the, in the, in the present age, at, as this was being given through Jeremiah, it would, it would um, result in the downfall of Babylon itself. But that same supremacy is here now, although it might not look like it. Um, the Lord Jesus talks about um, casting the ruler of this world out with his crucifixion in, J- in John chapter 12. Yeah. Right? He's the Lord of all things. He has a plan. He's going to carry it out. That plan includes the redemption of all his people, a redemption that required his divine acting. Now, his divine acting, when it was taking place, didn't look like it was uh, supreme at all, right? He, he suffers. He dies. He's mocked. Um, he's discarded. This one claims to be the Messiah. This one claims to be the Lord. This one claims to be supreme, right? Let him come down for the cross if he really is, right? You know, that kind of mocking. And then he is vindicated, right? He is raised up in his resurrection. 
And the promise that is made by that crucified and risen Lord is that his salvation is going to come to his people, those who place their trust in him. But there's all sorts of imposters. There's all sorts of usurpers. There's all sorts of, all sorts of people right now who, who, who claim to be supreme, who claim to be powerful, who claim, you know, who, who are standing uh, against him. Uh, the, the people of pride of all sorts, our own pride in ourselves, pride in other religions, pride in other beliefs, pride in other deities. And the Lord says that's going to come to an end. And our hope right now is that this will be fulfilled. But, you know, we can be like those Judahites who were in exile. It's like, is it actually going to happen? Because I look around, it doesn't really seem like it will. But our, our faith is not in what we see. It's in what we've been told. And the Lord who has promised this, who had promised something like this to, to his exiled people, that what seemed to be supreme, what seemed to be powerful, what seemed to be overarching and above all things was going to come to an end and it did is now made that same promise to us which is going to be fulfilled not temporally not in this present age but when this age comes to a close and that type of hope that the judahites had that their exile would come to a close and their and the lord's vengeance would be shown and the lord would demonstrate himself to be all powerful it's the same hope that we have. It's a hope in what we might not see now, but we believe will come to pass as the Lord fulfills his promises. And that's why we always talk about in our creed, and our audience hopefully hears it every Sunday when they come to worship, right? We talk about the one who's to come to judge the living and the dead. And our hope is in what? The resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Not what's extant now, but what will be. And that is where we can kind of see a parallel of where our hope and faith is in, um, in what the Lord says will take place, which is what the Judahites were to trust as they were in exile, but that exile would come to a close. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is the pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 21 to 46. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. You're very welcome. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. The series on Jeremiah is coming to a quick conclusion, but we will be picking up the Book of Lamentations next. If you have any questions in anticipation of that series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>